Good morning, good morning. Welcome to another uh, installment of our Voices of the Festival. I hope you're having a great time. Happy New Year. This is our first uh, chat of the year, and we are happy to have Howard Watkins in um, in our uh, home. By the way, I am today, I'm in New Orleans. I'm um, uh, conducting a show for New Orleans Opera and actually and in the amazing uh, New Orleans Opera Guild House, which look at this room, how beautiful this, how New Orleans with an amazing view. Oh, gorgeous space. Really, really. Um, so it's really a fantastic space. Let me invite Howard. Uh, uh, I don't see Howard, I said piano. Uh-huh. I don't see Howard. Um, there we go. Now I'm go join. Yeah, there you are. Hey, hey good morning. Good, good morning. I think that's uh, uh, perfect. Now no, it's going to get a little more. Well, this is uh, this is where I usually I usually that's my background. <laughs> uh, so, so we changed uh, we changed the the background, and then you um, you are in it. Uh, I love it. By the way, uh, everyone should know certainly everyone in Savannah that that uh, we are partners. Um, uh, so this our home, and Howard is a home in New York. Hello. How how is it there? It's good. Cold? It's it's probably not as beautiful and warm as it is uh, where you are in New Orleans, but it it will do. Well, <laughs> today today we have a a bit of a cold spell, so it's here is uh, what is it? Uh, probably in the in the fifties. So uh, for them, for New Orleans, it's it is a cold spell. Uh, hopefully, we'll go back to seventy, but but it's still That's nice and and. To be here in the house, in the guild of, uh, in the opera uh, uh, guild home, it's, in, it's incredible. It's just, it's just a luxurious 1860 home, home with all the furnishings that was donated to the uh, New Orleans Opera. And that's where the offices are, but also they do events. And it's just, I mean, it's a historic uh, home in the in the Garden District, and and you know how much I like uh, history and architecture. So this is like amazing setup. So. Beautiful background there with that chandelier and yeah. the, and the, the, and, the and that's uh, what is it? What is it? And then, yeah, all the that everything is beautiful. So um, and you had a great concert yesterday, and today uh, you're going to Philadelphia. Tell us um, what did you do yesterday? Um, we did the, the world premiere of a piece, um, a song cycle called Songs in Flight by the fantastic um, 
American Nigerian composer Sean Opeblo. Um, this was at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And, and Songs of Flight is a reaction to ads from a database that is uh, slave owners trying to recapture their escaped, um, their fugitive slaves or enslaved peoples who have escaped to freedom. And so the various ads have different levels of um, inhumanity in the way that they refer to their property. And um, Sean has written an incredible 55-minute work that represents reactions to the different ads. And in it, you see the, the lives of the different enslaved peoples and what makes, what makes them special and what makes them different. And a couple of contemporary mentions of Armo Arbery um, and um, George Zimmerman. And it's just, it's just an incredibly powerful work. There were some projections in the background and it's texts that are um, from fantastic collaborators who, who capture all kinds of different elements of this. It's just, it's a very special work, yeah. Wow. And uh, with that, sorry, I forgot to say, it's with um, fantastic singers, Rhiannon Gibbons, who's um, a well-known folk singer. She crosses many different idioms and she plays banjo incredibly. She does an opening set with banjo. Uh, Karen Slack, who is an incredible advocate for our arts and, and a soprano of your dreams. <laughs> uh, Reginald Mobley, countertenor, is really terrific countertenor. And uh, Will Liverman, who made such a splash at the Met last year and fire shut up on my bones, and who I have a personal history with because I played for his audition at the Met in the Met, uh, Met semifinals many years ago now, many years. <laughs> and with uh, Will also has been in Savannah at the ATC, so, ah. um, and it was, uh, it's a good friend of our uh, president of the board, uh, Barry, Barry and Naomi. So, ah. so it's good that, that uh, I mean, that's another connection to Savannah. Yes. That is, and, uh, and you are performing the cycle um, again, right? Yes, we are. Repeating the cycle in Philadelphia um, at the Perelman Theater uh, on Sunday afternoon. And um, heading to Philly tonight, we'll rehearse tomorrow and then, and then uh, do, the, do the performance um, Sunday afternoon. It's, it's really special and I'm excited for the people in Philly who get to hear it and for us who get to have another shot at uh, performing it. And uh, the, the auditorium at the main museum is large. How was the, the attendance? It was completely sold out. It was excellent. Um, I think it's, I think the theater seats around 700 people, the Grace, Ra Grace Rainey, uh, Grace Rainey Rogers um, auditorium, I think, and um, beautiful space and a really appreciative uh, audience who were quiet and wrapped with attention. I mean, I think it's impossible not to be. <laughs> it's very intense and very, very deep. Uh, yes. Excellent. And yes. Uh, and talk about that 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 uh, uh, theme and and uh, well not the specifically but uh, um, uh, related to the African American experience. Mm -hmm. um, you 
that was one of the reasons why you were named recently one of the um, 29, is that the number? Sure. Uh, 30, <laughs> 30 uh, uh, tell me by opera, um, by Musical America, tell me exactly the title, 30 most. Um, I think 30, I'm never good with these things for myself. I think it's 30 top professionals of the, um, of the year. Great, congratulations. And, oh, thank you, thank you. I was very honored and excited to to receive that honor from them. I, I think in particular they were reacting to uh, some of my work um, in, in advancing opera, opera uh, sorry, African-American uh, pieces and, and black repertoire and working with Tulsa Opera uh, for the Greenwood Overcomes um, and the, uh, the Tulsa, um, commemorating the Tulsa massacre, and uh, but also other projects like the pro uh, a project in um, Hamburg, Germany, with Tom Hampson and Hamsong, and um, just advancing advancing much of that repertoire and getting to 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 work and make sure that that composers of color, um, particularly black composers, are getting their works out there and heard by the public and right. getting what getting their due in particular the tulsa opera one was trying also to to give voice to composers who for reasons of maybe systemic racism or for whatever reasons have not had the chance so so there were a number of commissions of composers of all living black composers it was really very special event. Great. Yeah. Great. So again, so that was the 30 um, most uh, important people in uh, in the business by Musical America, which is not just opera or voice, it's, it's all it's all genres of, of music making and production and and instrumental, symphonic and also opera. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. In fact, the, the the piece that you did yesterday will be certainly uh, related to to that activity that music uh, musical America certainly was interested on um, to give you the the prize. So thank you. Uh, very 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 interesting. And um, so going back, so where are you from originally? Uh, uh, I'm I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio. I still have my family, my mom and dad and and my sister and nephew there in Centerville, Ohio, which is a suburb to the south of Dayton. And um, a lot of people don't know this. I actually was born in El Paso, Texas, where Jorge will be conducting, where you will be conducting later, Maestro. Um, my dad was in the uh, army there. And eventually, after a couple of years, we moved to Dayton where he worked at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And so I grew up there in Dayton, um, originally in the northern part, northern suburbs of Dayton. And then we moved to Centerville when I was in high school. So, yeah. so, so you're, you're uh, Ohio, uh, Midwestern by adoption, but actually a Texan by birth. So. <laughs> That's true. It's so true. With the, the nation of Texas and the American. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, great. And, and, um, and when do you study uh, music? Um, 
it's, it's, it's a funny it's a funny story i actually uh, as a kid i studied guitar for a few minutes a, a little while a couple of years and at a certain point my sister um started studying piano and so my parents bought um a little upright piano that we still have <laughs> there in centerville and when you buy a piano from Wurlitzer Piano, at least at that time, you uh, they offered free piano lessons. So we went and we took our our free piano lessons. But you know, I mean, they're they're what a store can offer, and they kind of um, kind of zipped zipped by pretty quickly. And my parents said, you know, if you really want to take um, real piano lessons, you can also study with the same teacher who. Anne Davis was her name, and she actually lived right across the street from us. And so I started taking lessons with her. And eventually, piano kind of took over because I had an affinity for it and really liked it. And guitar fell by the wayside. I did not have an affinity for it, and it hurt my fingers. <laughs> so uh, um, I studied. I studied. How do you feel before that when you were taking those lessons? Do you remember when you taking the first lessons at Woodley, sir? Yeah, I do remember. I remember that um, you know learning to play uh, some things by a little kind of by ear and learning to read, but everything was going really fast. I mean, like you know, doing chromatics and doing everything really quickly right in the first in the first lessons, and I was grabbing it, but it was too fast if you were going to be really serious about learning it. And so my parents were, were prescient and, and somehow thought, you know, if, if you really want to do it, let's do this the right way. But you seem so you liked it. Do you remember liking it? I do remember liking it. I did like it. And um, I think I probably, even to this day, I'm, I'm drawn by harmony and color of piano and, you know, uh, some how I just liked the way you could make sounds at the piano. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. So, so then you go to Mrs. Adams and uh, or David. Davis, yeah. Um, and then uh, I know at some point you started with, uh, with Mrs. Howard. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I, eventually, I eventually played in band and played some band instruments, went to undergrad. And when I started at undergrad at the University of Dayton, um, I started taking piano lessons with Patricia Howard, who was on faculty there. So it was kind of funny. I, I often would call her on the phone and Mrs. Howard, this is Howard, how are you? <laughs> uh, so I studied with her for a couple of years. After a couple of years of actually being an engineering major, I decided to um, study music seriously and make that my, my life to just dump in, jump into the deep end of the pool of music. And I uh, started studying with a gentleman, Tibor Sass, who came to teach at University of Dayton. Tibor is uh, Hungarian-born, grew up in Romania, um, and a fantastic piano teacher. And I had the great luck to work and study with him. I have hours of lessons every day, multiple lessons a week. Um, great luck and great experience, especially since I was kind of coming from behind at that point in undergrad, because I had to finish my under my music uh, studies in basically two and a half years. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, University of Dayton. Yeah, because I started, you know, I became a music major as a junior, and, and so 
I only ended up going half a half a uh, half a year beyond the normal four year process. So that meant some some really some really full years and a lot of studying. But it was great, great experience. Okay, I say Kevin Miller says hi, hi Kevin, hi. and uh, and uh, and then um, and then and then. Um, at a certain point, I, I knew I wanted to go to grad school. That teacher, Tibor, had done his grad studies at University of Michigan. So Michigan was one of the schools I considered for master's. I also applied to Manhattan School of Music, which is kind of funny since you ended up teaching there. Um, and eventually I got into Michigan and got a scholarship, a, a full fellowship to go and study there. And I moved to, to Michigan and studied with um, Charles Fisher, and studied solo piano, actually, um, was doing a master's in piano performance, and studied all the solo repertoire, um, piano, uh, charity, sonatas, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I did a lot of collaborating and really enjoyed it. And the more I did it, the more into it I got. Um, so I completed my master's. I, I had many opportunities to perform solo. Um, I was a winner in the concerto competition there, so I got to perform uh, Liszt's second piano concerto with a with the fantastic uh, school orchestra there. And when that finished, I um, got a job there actually at Michigan, working in the dance department. So I taught music to dancers. I played for ballet. I helped coordinate the. Um, hiring of of pianists to play for class, and um, actually we also used a lot of percussion, and it was it was a great experience. I got to work with dancers. I got to experience the unique creati creativity of dancers, um, and had a good time. And and then spent my off hours collaborating. I played for singers. I played for every instrument in the school. Um, played lots of people's lessons and recitals and just learned a lot of collaborative repertoire. And somewhere along the, I, this was a five year patch when I was doing that. And somewhere along the line, I realized, wait a minute, I, I'm doing this all the time for fun, but this is actually what I really like to do. And um, when I was at Michigan, I had gotten to meet and work some with the, with the fantastic collaborative pianist Martin Katz, who, who we both know, who was such a mentor and friend to us. And I had taken some lessons, uh, some lessons with Martin and his song class when I was in my master's. And so somewhere along the way, I realized I kind of want to do this. I mean, the dance thing was a wonderful experience for a while, but it wasn't my life's goal. And I realized that to, to take the next step, it really would be a good idea to go back and study collaborative piano seriously. And so I um, I applied to Michigan doctoral program and to Eastman program actually, and eventually decided to, to stay at Michigan and work with Martin. So I did my doctorate there in what we would now call collaborative piano. At the time it was called uh, piano accompanying and chamber music. Right. Yeah. Is, or it, the, the major is not called that anymore? No, I think it's, I th I think it's called collaborative piano now. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. Yeah. Because a master's in accompanying and chamber music. So. Yes. Yeah. So, all right. Um, and and why a doctorate and not another master's? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, it didn't. Even, it didn't even occur to me to 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 think about pursuing another master's. Um, a, do a doctorate, besides the amount of study that's involved, also is the degree that pretty much uh, that many schools require nowadays, and even at that time, that schools require if you want to be able to teach in academia. And um, it just it just seemed like the way to go for me to have the time and the depth of study to be able to to work with Martin, and um, yeah, it's just kind of what I wanted to do. So I I pursued that. It, I never thought about that. That's a really good question that you asked. I, I never thought about doing another another master's. I think that's relatively rare. I don't know. Is that is that the case in Argentina? No. Um... No, no, because uh, doing masters in Argentina is unusual. But uh, mm. but I did. It's different. For example, I in, in Argentina, the there's not really undergrad and grad in the conservatory. It was like mm. the elementary degree and a superior degree. That's an, a piano element. Mm -hmm. The first three years of college and then the second three years of college and the second three years of college uh, age. Let's put it that way. Is, is more specialized in one thing. The, the first is more of a teaching degree, mm. although it's not. And then the second one is more of a performance degree. So in my case, I did do a, a double master's, um, but I was doing different degrees. I did piano and conducting at the same time, but, but that's more of a double major. Uh, I should say thought, um, mm. it's just because uh, Masters is more performance oriented, and the doctorate has a bit of a investigation and research component. Um, yeah. I think in that program, in that program at Michigan, the doctorate is is, is performance oriented as well. But you're right; it does have a, a it goes further in in academic uh, ways. It had, the curriculum is is just by virtue of the fact that it's a longer degree. So right. you, you get more into things. And so while I was there at Michigan, I also was the, um, the pianist for uh, the Men's Glee Club, which was a, a fantastic experience. And I got to work with Jerry Blackstone, incredible, incredible musician, great choral conductor. We did, I, I played for them for a long time. Um, my first tour with them was a tour in the Far East of um, Korea, Japan. Um, we went to, we started in Hawaii, uh, Taiwan. Um, the next international tour I took with them, um, I think four years later, was to uh, Central Europe. So we were in um, Poland. Uh, Germany, Austria, um, where else? Well, in, in any event, the third international tour that I took with them was to South America. And so, um, of course, you know the story, but our, our and that's, friends here. Actually, we, for everyone to, to know, we met, we first met in Buenos Aires. Uh, we, I knew I was coming to study with, with Martin also at Michigan, and Martin says, to Howard, uh, there's this the new student coming from Argentina. Now that you are going to be in Argentina, coincidentally in the summer of 
before I get to to Michigan. So I said, why don't you guys connect? And, and we did. So <laughs> exactly. Dental. Exactly. Yeah. So so you were you were with the Glee Club many yeah. years. Last yes. every four years you have a thing. So you were there at least nine years. Well, I think I think it was a nine year period. I I um. I started playing for Glee Club the second year of my master's. I played through them throughout that five-year appointment, and I played for them the first three years of my doctorate. So yes, nine and over a nine-year period. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's a little noisy here, so I, sometimes I'm muted. Okay. So, uh, and after that, let's get into the heat of the things. <laughs> the heat of the so, battle, then, yes. Where you were playing for more instrumental and and vocal, right? In 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 Michigan, you were doing a bit of everything. In fact, you did a lot of instrumental. Yes, I did a lot of instrumental collaborating at, at Michigan. Um, over over the years, even even um, even before the doctorate, I had worked a lot with string players and uh, played at worked at a camp called Meadow Mount, which is a, a fantastic string camp in uh, upstate New York. I, I did three years of that. And then for a number of years after, I was the studio accompanist for Paul Cantor's studio at Aspen Music Festival. And so I was at Aspen, um, not every year, but most years between 1992 and 98. Uh, the, the year between finishing at Michigan and when we moved to New York together, um, that was my last year at Aspen Music Festival. And your first year at Aspen Music Festival. First and only year at Aspen Music Festival. Oops, you're muted. You're muted there, Maestro. You're muted, Maestro. Uh, uh, based on your recommendation, I was able to get the Opera Fellowship yes. there. That just happened there. But any, so many years in Aspen, and, and then uh, you moved to New York. We moved to New York. But, uh, right. Uh, uh, was what was the um, the motivation to move into New York? Well, I already knew that as as much as I had enjoyed and loved Ann Arbor and still love Ann Arbor, as as anyone can attest, I knew that it was time to to move on to do something else. I I felt like I had kind of done what I wanted to do in Ann Arbor at at the time as someone who's still kind of growing and learning. So. I already knew that I wanted to move to New York and freelance, and we decided we would both together move to New York and get our feet in the water and see what there was to do. And um, Martin told me that the the Met Young Artist Program had reopened the piano uh, component of their program. So they were uh, taking um, recommendations for pianists and accepting um, um, auditions. That's what I was looking for accepting auditions for pianists. So I flew to New York, I think, the May before we came here. And I was one of um, one of kind of, well, it's hard to explain, kind of one of three pianists who who won the audition and who were brought into the program. And so with that, I was able to come to New York, uh, be involved in the Young Artist Program as a pianist, uh, which involved playing for singers, uh, studying with the various music staff of the Met and um, the great conductor, James Levine. Um, I got to work with him quite, quite a lot. 
And um, yeah, it was great. And then even in the first year, I think I had one project working on a main stage production at the Met. I worked on Tosca, the opera Tosca. Um, and I didn't actually play for that show, but I did some backstage work and queuing and just got to have a feel of how that works, working in an opera house. And it was a, a good start. I think the second year is when I played my actual first show at the Met with Levine conducting, and um, it was Otello. Um, for those of you who who know this work and who know what we do, that's a that's a tall order <laughs> to start right right in with Otello. It's just difficult to play. It's difficult to to play and cue and do all the things that we that we need to do. So it was a it was a challenge, but it was a lot of fun. That was with Levine conducting. Um, I think it was Barbara Fritelli was uh, Desdemona. Uh, Placido Domingo was uh, Otello. And James Morris was um, um, Iago. Iago, yeah. yeah. Wow, amazing cast. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, a couple of things for, from that. Um, yeah. so, so you were at... at the young artist with uh, for two years. Yes, um, and great. You have amazing colleagues that now are major stars. Yeah, right? so that's exactly. Names. I mean, certainly, uh, Carrie Ann Matheson that is now at, at the Adlers, and um, and Merola was the other pianist on your second year. And in terms of the singers, some of them actually Carrie Ann. Carrie Ann and I did not exactly overlap in Lindemann. She the first year after I was finished was Carrie Ann's first year. But I overlapped with Brad Moore as a pianist, uh, Mary Jo Gothman, who is now um, a, a dear friend and who is working in um, Minnesota. Um, singer colleagues, I was there at the same time. My, in my direct class was um, Marius Kvietchen. Um, Danielle Denise was in my class. Um, who else? Um, Alexandra de Shorties, who is a very, very close friend. Um, Alfred Walker was already there in the program, Greg Ture, and, and we all overlapped. It, it, it was quite a lot going on there. Right. And, um, and yes, um, Otello as your first main show that's, that it's quite, quite busy, but also, also you, you had a full season that year, um, when do you start uh, full-time uh, engagement at the Met? Well, the first the first few years, even after I finished the program, I got some assignments every year from 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 the Met, and so I would I was a, a part timer, as are most of the staff at the Met. So, um, I think I don't remember how many were then. Probably more than now, but now we have about forty music staff members at the Met. And after, I think, maybe in 2008 or nine, something like that, so after about nine or 10 years, um, I was invited to become a full-time member of the, of the music staff. Um, now we're up to 11 full-time members of the staff. At one point, we had only maybe seven and only three of those were pianists at at 
even as even as of last year um this year we've actually managed to get our numbers back up a bit but the point is that there are not that many full-time um music staff members who are pianists so i'm very honored to to have been at that and caitlin is one of the new yes Emerson. hi caitlin yeah. and my casey said say hello thank you for watching and thank you for the message right. uh, uh um and so so yeah because the the you would think that they have a a, a major uh music staff at the met instead of full-time but it's actually the the full-timers are about um six or seven as you said and then the part-timers are 40 and 50 a lot yeah and uh, And you say that they are not all pianists. What are the other full-timers in the music staff? Um, most, uh, many of the others are prompters. Um, so we have uh, full-time prompters. We have the pianists. We have backstage conductors. Um, I think most of the time that I've been at the Met, we had two. Um, I think we only have one full full-time backstage conductor. But another thing that's happened in the recent years is that we've kind of blurred the lines a little bit between between the roles. So many of the people who prompt actually also play shows in other circumstances uh, as pianists um, and vice versa. I, I have never been the scheduled prompter on a show, but I have prompted a lot on shows, either substituting for someone, or in one case, um, a show that was not supposed to have a prompter, one of the one of the cast was insistent that we add a prompter. This was Vertea uh, many years ago. And so I became the prompter for the, that run of Vertea. It's kind of fun, actually. <laughs> right. uh, so, so, yeah. The music staff at the Met is, is you, you can be an assistant conductor and you do a lot of jobs as assistant conductor, just being playing the show, right. coaching singers, backstage conducting, prompting, even some of them are language, assigned as language diction coaches. That's true. Assistant conductor um, in our title at the Met means, it means assistant to the conductor. That's a better way to think of it than that we actually conduct. The people who are in charge of covering the conductor himself are called cover conductors. So music staff consists of prompters, pianists, cover conductors, uh, language coaches. They may be assistant conductors or they may not quite have that rank, but they're still involved as part of the musical preparation of a show. And uh, yeah, th that's our, we, uh, we have one full-time uh, dance pianist, Brian Fitzsouza, For many, <clears throat> for many years, it was um, Whit Kellogg, the late Whit Kellogg, who was then uh, supplanted by Stephen Mitchell. And Stephen is fairly, uh, I think he's in his second year now of retirement. Congratulations, Stephen. And now we have Brian Fitzsouza, who's um, our, our dance pianist. So I think I covered it. There's also a, a pianist for the chorus. Yes. Or Right, right, David Moody, who's incredible, and he's a full timer, um, a welcome addition to our our full time staff. And fantastic. From the point of view of someone that is not used to the opera world, uh, I can imagine that there's a pianist 
for rehearsal. So they have the conductor and the pianist. What, what is it? A prompter. What is a prompter? What's a back, backstage conductor? Yes. <clears throat> well, I'll say in a, in, a, in, a, in a given rehearsal, we usually have a couple of pianists. So one maybe taking notes and paying attention and maybe we switch off, just depends. Um, we have the cover conductor who in many cases is the one doing the actual rehearsal or maybe sitting next to the principal conductor if he or she is there. And um, the prompter is the person who, they have this Italian word, suggeritore, who is the person who takes the text that's being said and kind of out of phase, slightly ahead of when it's happening, um, reminds everybody of what the coming text is going to be. So it's someone who throws the text out there for the singers to remind them. They may not say everything, but they just give a suggestion of what the coming line is going to be, kind of in the gaps. Everyone has their different styles and singers have different needs. So prompting can work differently for different people. But you know, like if you were doing something, let's say happy birthday, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, happy birthday to you, happy birthday. So the prompter is just slightly ahead, giving the suggestion of what's going to come. Um, there'll be different volumes and different amounts of text different amounts that they give depending on what's necessary but in in these days where um many times singers are coming from many uh, lots of engagements and have lots of things to do it's it's not a bad idea to in a rep house like this to have a prompter who can help with text um sometimes the prompter can help with staging uh saying oh there may not be enough time for the for whatever's been rehearsed. And so it, maybe maybe the singers could use some help to know which way to go. So the prompter can, at the same time that they're giving these suggestions, they can point this way, remind the chorus, come down, chorus stop, because the prompter also cues the, the chorus, same. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, we're thinking that sometimes people would think, oh, well, the singer just know the music, but actually you had to learn it. You had to, it's hard to memorize. And for these stars that, that performed a lot of shows in different places, as you say, if, right. if this weekend I'm in Covent Garden singing Tosca and, and tomorrow I'm in, um, in the Met singing uh, Butterfly and, and suddenly I, I need to remember the whole two hours of Italian text. Right. And, that is help, very, very helpful to have someone with the score reminding you of exactly what it is. It's just a, it's a great safety net. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And if you, if, you, if you come to the Met and you're doing a new production of something and you're doing a, maybe a new piece, Fire Shot Up My Bones, um, or The Hours, I just worked a lot of time on The Hours, that's a fairly long rehearsal period. So you really have time to settle in. But the Met does let's say 26, seven shows a year, something, something like that. So obviously the vast majority of those are revivals and a revival doesn't have as long a re rehearsal period. So if you, as you just said, if you come from Covent Garden or Paris Opera, you come to the Met, you're doing Elixir of Love in two and a half weeks, that's not gonna be as much rehearsal and you don't really have time to ease into it as much as you might 
if you were doing a new piece. So a prompter is, is a real help. And um, add to that, suppose you're, that's the A run. So what we call the A run is the first run of a piece. If, if during the season- What do you mean? The piece- Of the piece. That's what I mean, yeah. So if, if during the, um, during the season, we do a piece, let's say Traviata, it comes and goes a few different times. Each period has a letter that designation. So the A run of Traviata is the first bunch of Traviata performances. So th that ends in November, let's say. Traviata then comes back in January and is going to be rehearsed again. We call that the B run. That finishes, if it comes back again, that's the C run. There wouldn't be more than that, let's say. So those are, we call those the ABC runs of a piece. The subsequent chunks usually don't have as much rehearsal. So if it's a revival, you already have a fairly diminished rehearsal period. And then even less for the B, even less for the C. So super valuable to have a prompter if you're just going to have a short bunch of rehearsal, a short rehearsal time. And the cast could be different. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, most likely the cast will be different. Right. Um, hence, hence the reason for, um, you know, different different periods and um, different, that makes for different interest uh, for the audiences. Yeah, sure. Right. And, and, um, and one of the things that, that you also do is to coach the, the Mets and to, yes. I mean, this, and to help help them musically what's what's the the, the job of a coach and... yes well you know being a coach in opera is is a really fascinating uh, fascinating job that covers a lot of different things in different situations so coach in in, in at the met in that opera house can mean helping the singers prepare. It doesn't mean that the singers came and they weren't prepared. On the contrary, it means helping them feel comfortable in knowing that they know the music. So when I coach a singer, I'm in a room, just the singer and myself, and we go through their role. I play the orchestra music on the piano and sing the missing parts. <laughs> so if, um, if Jorge comes to the Met and Jorge's going to sing Suzanne, uh, it's going to sing uh, Iago at the Met, then we play Otello on the piano and I sing the other parts that are missing so that he has the experience of, and the, the feel of singing his part with people bouncing off of him. Of course, that requires a certain skill from me that is not something that you necessarily learn as a solo pianist. That's part of what we study as a collaborative pianist. So that's, coaching can be helping the singer prepare to learn the music, to know it better, uh, to check their memory at the Met. Um, that's what we, and we try to make sure that we've coached everybody on a show. There may not be time to coach all the principles because generally we start right away with staging and music, but certainly we make sure that all the all the um, covers alternates are coached and every role at the Met, every singing role has a has a cover. So all of those people are coached and prepared um, in in 
the studio by someone on the staff, usually one of the two pianists, but it could also be by the prompter or the cover conductor or the principal cover conductor if he or she has time and is inclined. And and when you, let's say either either the principal or, or the cover, mm -hmm. when a newer role or a new role, right. uh, which it does happens, uh, how does that work? Um, well, first of all, they they get as much coaching as they want and as is practicable. In, in most situations, there's time over the run for them to work and coach with however many people they want. And in a new, new piece, especially a new contemporary piece, they may not have had the chance to work with someone who knows that piece and understands how that works. So they just come in the room and they have as much coaching as possible. If it's a piece that comes back a lot, another role that we play is we can tell them, look, I've done this piece here with this conductor. Marco Armagliato has come here and he's done Aida many times. I can tell you these are what his beat patterns are likely to be. So the singer already has some understanding and some preparation of what they're likely to see. Um, uh, what else? Tempe, we can already give an idea of what the tempo is likely to be and make sure that they're prepared with the maestro's tempo. Um, sometimes if a piece starts with a music rehearsal, then we can maybe pass on information to singers who weren't there or firm up that information in coaching with the other singers who may have only been watching or may have not had a chance yet to do it. And we can say, look, you heard that his tempo and his or her tempo in this section was relatively fast, maybe compared to what you're used to. So let's practice that. Let's let's have a chance so that when you get up to do it in staging or when you have your first opportunity, um, it's not a big shock. It's not so new to your system. So, so I hear that so there's a, a lot of... Um involving in make sure that that they feel comfortable what about um dealing with with vocal technique musical ideas diction yes um at the met it's a little bit different than some situations at the, these are all things that are important for us as coaches to know and to be prepared to deal with especially language we 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 all are trained in um the pronunciation of the main the main singing languages, um, Italian, French, German, maybe Russian, uh, maybe Czech, maybe Spanish. But, but at the Met in particular, we usually have a, a, a dedicated diction coach for those, for those um, languages. So that person is the one who's in charge of making sure the singers are, are well prepared and that are pronouncing correctly and are using the language idiomatically. Um, so it's not just a matter of having the right rules, but also speaking the sentence as some, or singing as someone would for whom Italian or German or French is, a, is their native language. So we have coaches who specifically handle that. What, what was the other thing you said? Um, um, musical ideas and yes. vocal technique. Yes, musical ideas. Musical ideas, absolutely. We definitely put our fingers in that pie. But again, there's a bit of a hierarchy there at the Met. The, the authority, the musical authority, um, by, by tradition and by necessity, is the conductor. 
in the room. The conductor is the pilot of that plane and has the responsibility for landing that plane on opening night and beyond. So he's he or she is the one who makes those decisions and it's our job to bring to life uh, those decisions. It's not our job to say, I do it this way, I prefer it this way, but Maestro does it some other way. That's not, not what we do. Um, vocal technique, there are different philosophies of this. Um, my idea is that any conversation of vocal technique is simply to be sure that the singer, it, that what the singer thinks is coming across is actually coming across. It's definitely not to teach the singer how to sing because in most situations, we, it, most of the time with coaches, we are not singers ourselves. That said, it, it, I feel it doesn't make sense to pretend that those things don't matter. And we usually have a lot of study and a lot of experience in, in being in voice lessons and working with singers over, over the years. I mean, I've been at, I've been at the Met now we, we've talked about all this, but we don't usually say years. But I've been at the Met now. This is my twenty-fourth season, so of course there's a lot of there's a lot of experience there, and a lot of information to pass on. So yes, we do sometimes talk a bit about vocal technique, suggestions of this or that. Um, listen, dear dear singer, blah 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 blah. It would help you if your placement were a little bit better here. Or if you did this with the language, it might help what you're doing come across a little bit better. Um, in this particular auditorium, which is enormous, <laughs> it might be better for you to think this way or think that way. Um, we can talk about, sometimes we will talk about um, the, the way that they are putting the staging across, for example. So if, if, uh, if someone, for example, ends up in a conversation across the stage, instead of singing directly out into the auditorium, it's part of our job to let them know and reinforce that um, that doesn't work well in 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 the Met. Um, there, it may be in some smaller houses you can do that and you can get away with that, and and that works well. But in the Met, your sound disappears when you do that. It's um, it's just large. <laughs> And and a new pieces, as you said, you were involved with with this amazing new production, which is the hours, which I adore. Yeah. Um, and you were involved both in the world premiere version, which was with the Philadelphia Orchestra. You were playing for rehearsals there with Yannick. Yes. And then you were also involved with the world premiere of the stage version. Yeah. And how was the, the let's say the the learning process or the um, or the preparation process the first time you did it. At, and at, um, uh, uh, Jennifer Johnson Cannon was in that cast uh, doing one of the main roles, and uh, and which is you know another big Savannah favorite. Yes, 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 absolutely. Jennifer, Jennifer um, in Philadelphia sang the role of Virginia Woolf and covered that same role at, at the Met, covered Joyce, uh, Joyce DiDonato, who sang that at the Met. Um, yes, first of all, I, I mean, it can't be said enough how much I love 
that piece, <laughs> the hours. I mean, it was one of my favorite experiences at, at the Met working on that. Um, it's just wonderful piece of music, super, super communicative, well-written. Um, yes, well, it, it was a little tricky to, to learn it at, 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 uh, for Philadelphia. I mean, as with many times when you're learning a new piece, you don't have you don't have you can't go listen to recordings of of how it was done before because there aren't any <laughs> um there they're often midi uh um recordings of uh, you know a computerized uh, sound of of uh of how it sounds and you can that can help with making sure you have the right notes and making sure that you understand the tempi and just having something to practice along with but it did take some time to to um to learn it um th that was also because it was a concert version a fairly truncated rehearsal process so i we went to philadelphia we basically had maybe a week to to have musical rehearsals with um much of that was with our cover conductor there, Kinsho Watanabe, who then came and covered it at the Met. Incredible, I mean, incredible conductor, who's had a long experience with that piece over various workshop iterations and whatnot. So he knew it intimately, and and he, with his um, gentle, calm, super authoritative, but, but wonderful to work with, uh, way of working helped us prepare it and learn it so yeah so that was a short quick intense process but fun and and it was possible certainly possible to learn it all the singers came very well prepared and we had dedicated music time where we could work and dig and it was fun i mean renee fleming was there renee was the uh um um, uh, um clarissa dalloway um and uh, Kelly O'Hara sang the role of Laura Brown. She was also there in the Philly version and in the in the Met version. So this was super valuable for them because when they came into the Met, they already had the larger part of the experience done. I mean, there were a lot of changes and rewrites, and and as is always the case in a new piece. And I've done a lot of new pieces at the Met. I had the opportunity to work on um, American Travel tragedy of Tobias Picker, um, the first emperor, Tandun opera. Um, and those are all really special experiences for me. I did get to work on Nixon in China and Dr. Atomic, which were not new works, but they were new to the Met at the time. And in the case of Nixon in China, I got to work with John Adams um, conducting and, and working through that. And that was a real treasured memory. And I hasten to add, with the great Peter Sellers as a director, I mean, what an unbelievable experience that was, so. We had to stop. One of the reasons why I'm here at the Opera Guild at New Orleans Opera is because I have the orchestra rehearsal right now starting in three minutes. So I need to go downstairs. And thank you, Howard, for being with us. It was fantastic. Uh, Kiani will answer your question privately. <laughs> she asked the process on learning your piece but we don't have time to for you Howard to answer so maybe we do another chat uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk again part two all right Howard uh, any any words for Savannah 
Savannah has been, I mean, we haven't talked, we didn't have a chance to talk that much about it, but Savannah has been one of the absolute lights of our work as, uh, as musicians and as, as coaches, getting to work with the young singers and getting them to understand what happens behind the scenes and in front of the scenes of where they might want to be. Great. Excellent. Thank you, everyone. And I will see you next time uh, at the Voices of the Festival. Take care. Bye, Take guys. Take care. Bye-bye.